God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. The message of the gospel, the message of Jesus is good news. It's not only good news for you, it's good news for everybody you know. It's good news for people who don't know Jesus. It's good news for people you don't like, Republican and Democrat. It's good news for your community. It's good news for your country. It's good news for your world. If it's not good news for everybody, then it's not good news for anybody. The gospel is good news. It's a message of hope. God loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. That's exactly right. Thank you, Lord, that you don't give up on us. Thank you, Lord, that you keep coming after us. Thank you for your allow circumstances and people and your word to continue to speak to us. Thank you. Thank you. Here at Renovation, you, you may have come today, you don't have a lot of, of, of history with us and, and, or no history with us. Just so you know, our name Renovation comes from the Latin word renovare. It means to bring life, to bring vigor, to bring not just any life, not just, okay, he's still breathing or she's still breathing, but to bring life. Zoe, to bring something new. Our sign or our logo that you'll see around, around, around the campus is a construction sign. The color of it is intentional to be that along the line of a construction sign. You see it there. It's broken into pieces. It represents the world. And what's in the middle of all of it is the cross. The cross is the bridge. Jesus is the bridge to bring all these pieces and bring them all back together again. So if you're just curious on why our logo looks the way it is, that's it. Why we're called renovation? Because it bring, we believe we're called to bring vigor in life. Not just any life, not just breathing, but what? Zoe, real life. Purpose to bring it back. That's why we're here. That's why we believe we exist here. Shared with you last week a few things. I uh, just want to recap because I know some of you, again, may be new to this series that I'm hopefully going to in this way, finish today in 1 Timothy. And the Barna slide that we showed last week, I don't know if we have that yet or not. Uh, we were, trying, we're changing over systems, so it's a little tricky. Okay. But you see here the Barna slide, George Barna. Many of you know who he is. Maybe you don't, but he does a lot of things, especially inside the church, but he does it outside too. But to tell you where culture is, there's a lot of things he does. But one of his culture inside the church and one of the challenges we have inside the church but when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And you look at this and you go, wow, number nine and number 10. 1% of the people basically ever reach that. And you look at number six and number five and you go, well, number six is where we, we begin to have this spiritual discontent. We believe where we are right now is, and as I showed the ladder to you last week, uh, as I climbed the ladder, there is this place where God lets us get steady. Then he says, what? Get ready. I'm about to move you again because he's going to not let us get totally content there because he has more to show us, more to grow us. I had just rhymed and I'd have never done that before. That's pretty awesome. That's good. That's good. But what happens is when we don't, when then we get to number seven and we experience this personal brokenness and God is, is allowing things, and I'm not saying he's bringing it, but he's allowing it. He's with us all the time. He's in the middle of all of it with us. It's happening. And what do we do? Most of us, unfortunately, as I look at this, we begin, instead of going radical dependence on God, we begin to back up. We back up. 
As I said to you last week, some of you are here for an unusual reason. I don't know what all that is, but you're here today for whatever reason. You're here last week for whatever reason because circumstances and people, all kinds of things have brought you to this place. Not, I'm not even talking about this place like at 5604 North 24th Street. I'm talking about to this place in your life. Somehow or another, you've ended up at 5604 North 24th Street hearing what we're talking about here. Some of you have been believers a long time. But you're not going to allow God to use this time of brokenness. You're going to try to repair it all yourself. And you're going to begin to back up. The five C's that we know we talk about and we use here as kind of our framework for discipleship is that everyone falls in one of these five. And again, I don't tell people where they are. You self-select where you are. You begin to look at it. But again, where you're really here in your conscience, you're, as the Scripture talks about is the natural man, where you're operating by all the things, and we'll talk about it a little later, the things that how you've, you know, whatever, if you're 20 or you're 50, you've got here by all these things happening in your life, so you're operating, Scripture talks about, out of your conscience, but you're either ignorant of God, and I don't mean stupid, it's just your lack of knowledge of who God really is. Or you're indifferent where you've hardened your heart, or something has happened towards the whole concept of God or towards church, and you're, all, you're not only just indifferent, you're mad. Or you may be here today and you're going, is this true? I want to know if this is true. If this is true, then I, I'm going to have to research this. Is it true for me? Is it true for me all the time? Is it conditional? The answer is no, it's not conditional. God's grace, his unconditional love, unconditional love. Hear that, unconditional love. Then you accept Christ and you're convinced, you believe and you're secure, you're comfortable in your faith, but then if you're not careful, it's like many marriages and different relationships, we become complacent. We take it for granted. We really don't no longer try to grow. We no longer try to grow in capacity of a marriage or try to grow in capacity. We just say we got in. The old saying, the old joke goes, you know, uh, the, the man tells his wife at the wedding day he loves her. And he says, and he never tells her again. He says, if, I, if, if, if anything changes, I'll tell you. I told you I loved you then. If anything changes, I will tell you. That's complacent. We read in Revelations where Jesus talks about churches who become complacent. He said, you did all the right spiritual things. You did all the right things. You tried to do all the things except you lost your first love. You forgot about why you got in this thing in the first place. You forgot about the reason why we do communions as we do to remember. Hopefully, you do it every day to remember. Hopefully. I'm not talking about communion, but you live a life of remembrance of what he has done for you. Today, we're going to talk. Then what happens with many of us, we're capped. We don't know how to get past it. We know we're stuck in this treadmill of spiritual life, but we don't know how to move past it, and we're capped. And the downside of that is, is that when we're capped, it has ripple effects. If we're parents or married or single and we've got friends, if we're capped, we've capped our capacity and the purpose God has for us because we can't move past it. But God loves us. He's on our side. He's coming after us, and he's relentless. You're going to have a choice in the middle of all this, whether to keep moving and trust him or try to go backwards and try to be indifferent where you harden your heart. I lived 10 years, as I've told you before, I lived 10 years from 16 to 26 doing everything I could to be indifferent to God. I didn't want to hear from God, didn't want to know about God. I didn't want him messing with my inner, inner workings. I didn't want him convicting me. I didn't want it. Anybody ever been there? So you harden the word, you harden your heart.
But I love this imagery that we've talked about in 1 Timothy 4 over these last many weeks, our fifth week here. And like I said, hopefully today I'm wrapping it up for you. And I'm sure you were hoping it weeks ago, but I'm, 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 I march on, okay? But the imagery here, we're going to read 1 Timothy 4, 12 through 16. 1 Timothy 4, 12 through 16. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift or your calling, which is given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them. So that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. The word set there means to fundamentally it means to become. In other words, we talk about a lot here. I I am transformed and I am being transformed. I'm both. God has changed me, but he is still changing me. I'm not the finished product, and I won't be till I see him face to face. So just so you know, I'm not everything I want to be, but I'm not what I used to be. But I need people around me to challenge me and grow in capacity to help me become everything I'm supposed to be. But when you're out here by yourself, trying to do this by yourself, you're not challenged. To set an example, the word example there, and you, many of you, I, I, I just know this is one of my favorite images of this whole passage of Scripture, but it is that repeating of a stamp of blow after blow after repetition of blow after blow, that your life will be a blow to people, other people around you, you're out of repetition, have a consistency of life, that you will be living in such a way that you're leaving a mark on their life. You're, you're stamping it where that will or Ajax can't wash it off. You may even know what Ace Jacks is. I may be way past my, I may have just dated myself, I don't know, or Comet, or I don't know. You can't get it off because I am living a life where you can't walk away from it. You can't ignore it. And I don't mean I'm preaching to you. I'm not out here on the corner with a blowhorn saying turn or burn. No, I'm living a life that is transformed, that is changed. Every day you're going to see it. Every day I get up, my children are going to see it. Every day my spouse is going to see it. Every day those singles that I hang out with are going to see it. Every day they're going to see it, people I work with. Every day. Day after day. And you don't know when it's going to flip. You don't know when the tipping point is. You're just going to show up every day. But it's that blow. Bam. 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 Set an example. And don't neglect... In other words, don't act like you don't care. And it goes on, he says, uh, to devote yourself. In other words, give yourself full, full attention. And literally, the image here is to stir up the flame. Continually, every day, stir the flame. Stir the flame of what God is doing in your life. To be diligent. In other words, devise a plan. Put a plan in place and begin to practice that plan. And give yourself holy, holy meaning like a sponge where you're absorbed by it. You're trying to soak it all in. What all are you doing in my life, God? What all do you want to do? I want to be absorbed by it. And last week talked about so that everyone may see your what? Progress. Procope. The visual there, I know I freaked some of you out last week, and I haven't fixed it this week, but this is my camping one, so that's the reason why I can grab it here, okay? But the image is, progress is not just, oh, you've, you've got some nice progress. No, literally, it's battling against the resistance as if you are a person clearing the way for a marching army behind you. That literally is the image. That's what that is, okay? It's not just, oh, nice little progress you got going on. No, 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 no. It's not that. It is literally, you're cutting a path. You're swatting. You're cutting out whatever's pushing against you. You're beginning to fight back against it. Some of you have given up way too soon. Don't give up. Get up. Let's go. 
So many of you, when you get knocked down, you give up. I'm telling you to get up. Get up. Let's go. Because everybody has a reason to what? Quit, right? Everybody has a reason to quit. Everybody. Everybody does. He goes on to say, watch your life. Of course, he had already said up front, set an example in, in speech and faith and love and purity. He says, watch your life and of all things, your doctrine closely. He actually says, persevere in them. Persevere in your doctrine? Now, I want to make sure for some of us here, when we live by faith, what he talks about in faith, faith is more than doctrine. Okay, faith is faithfulness. Many times, what, what faith are you? Well, I'm Baptist, and I'm, or I'm Nazarene, or I'm Catholic, or I... No, 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 no. The faith is in Jesus Christ, and it's how you live your life. But there is a doctrine, there is a set of beliefs... It allows you to move forward, allows you to look at it, allows you to study it, allows you, and begin, I've, I've shared with you before, my first eight or nine months of being a Christian, I was reading scripture by myself. A little bit with Jan, but at time, most of the time by myself, and came up with some terrible doctrine. But I was passionate, and I was leading people to Jesus, I really was, with bad doctrine. But as time went on, I got better doctrine, better theology, which is good. We need to study, and we need to be in a community that checks us. We need to be in a community that says, well, I don't think that's quite what that, or, man, oh, you said that, that triggered something in me. Man, how does that play out? You need to be in a community studying the Word for a lot of reasons. But to build, to, to, to begin to advance in your faith, you've got to be in the Word you got to build that. And again, I'm not going to get into it today, but Paul tells Timothy, persevere in this because if you, if you will, you will save yourself and your hearers. It should make us stop and think a little bit. But perseverance. 1 Corinthians 9 24 through 27. Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. We do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching, to others, I myself might be disqualified. There it is again. It's not like you reach number six, like we talked about earlier, and go, oh, you know what, I don't want to go any further. I think this is a continuous growth, a continuous thing in our life. It's continue pursuing and persevering and making progress. Hebrews 11, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, with perseverance, with endurance, with grit, with passion, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand, the throne of God. We are convinced here at Renovation, I believe, those who are in, and what I mean by that is, those who are convinced of what we're trying to do. It's impossible to keep living the same and embrace God's calling on your life. It's impossible. The implications are staggering, and they're life-altering. See, I believe when you tell God yes, he begins to things, change things internally. He changes your thinking. He changes your motives. He, change, he begins to change all these things, and sometimes that's the reason why we get a little freaked out. 
sometimes our discipleship is telling people, well, just stop doing all those things. No, it's more than that, friend. It's way greater than that. It's what God's doing in you. It's how he's changing you. When you give yourself and you say yes. I love what Richard Foster says. He said, God gradually and slowly captures the inner faculties. First the heart and the will, then the mind and the imagination and the passions. The result is, this, is the transformation of the entire personality into the likeness of Christ. More and more we take on his habits, feelings, hopes, faith, and love. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Ephesians 4, through 24 you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God. Should stop you. And true righteousness and true holiness, that's what we're created for. 2 Timothy 2, 20 through 22, in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. John Wesley, quote from many years ago, talking about us, he said, doesn't want a salvation that runs hot or cold or makes you feel guilty most of the time or just gets me to heaven. Anybody with you on that, with me on that? I agree with that, but I love this. He said, by salvation, I mean it, not barely deliverance from hell or going to heaven, but a restoration of the soul to its primitive health, a recovery of the divine nature the renewal of our souls after the image of God in righteousness and in true holiness, in justice, mercy, and truth. If you live that way, there is basically no cap on what God can do in your life. As we talked about last week, Ephesians 3, 21, 22, when we talked about Craig Rochelle's quote, your brain cannot comprehend what God can do through you. Can't comprehend it. To guard your doctrine. Yes, we're Wesleyan in tradition. We're a renovation church, part of the Church of the Nazarene, Wesleyan in our, in our history. And one of the ways we come up, I said we come up with, but we, we filter it to truth. How many of you know this? Truth isn't truth the day you discover it. It's either truth or not. That makes sense? It either was or wasn't. It's not like, oh, I got it. Oh, yeah, now it's truth. It always was truth. And there's a difference between what is true for me personally and what is truth. Because there are times I can tell a story and go, oh, that's true. I, I go, well, I can't argue with that because you're saying it's true. But that doesn't equal truth. One of the ways we do it, well, the way we do it uh, here at Renovation, talk through it and kind of teach it is our Wesleyan quasi-quadrilateral. And we have that. If not, it's going to be more confusing. There it is, right there. When we, talk about, when we talk about truth, and I call it quasi because I've messed with it a little bit, okay? Uh, but truth, scripture, the, the Christian, the ideology of how we think, what's awesome about that scripture is those other three, experience, reason, and tradition, they do not compete in the sense of they do not rise with scripture. Do not, don't, do not misunderstand that. But I take my experience because we all have it, right? Well, I have an experience. We take our reasoning, how we've ended up here, but what is reason, if we, what we know about God, what is reasonable, and tradition, what has been the history or tradition through time. Filter that through Scripture, and we end up at truth. But we don't cherry-pick Scripture's reason why we need to be in community. We've got to know how to filter that and how to make that make sense. Because my experience, I can tell you right now, When I gave my life to the Lord, I was baptized two weeks later, and in my baptism, God delivered me from foul language. 
I'd been trying for months and months, and Jane had asked me to stop using all the curse words that I used so bad, and I, I was brutal about it, and where I worked didn't help at the aluminum mill. And I came up out of that water, and I was delivered from a foul language. Except since I've been working on my casita, it's come back to my mind a little bit, <laughs> just so you know. I didn't, it didn't come out of my mouth, just out of my, my mind at times. Like, whoa, okay. That is. <laughs> it's 1030 at night, and I'm out there painting. It comes to my head. No, just kidding. That's true for me. My experience tells me that's true, but that's not truth. So if you've got an issue with foul language, I could baptize you all day long. You still have it afterwards. Does that make sense? I mean, not all my experience, not your experience, even if it's spiritual, doesn't make it truth, doesn't make it the same for everybody else. People get certain gifts when, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. That doesn't mean it's true universally. It doesn't mean it's truth, but it could be true. So that's how we filter. So guard your doctrine. We talk about here the the. The natural man, and I don't have time to preach today. I don't want to confuse it for people, but, 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 but I, I want to make sure that we don't leave here today understanding because it makes a difference on the convicted and the compelled. I don't have time to preach out of 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 16. You can write it down, or 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. 1 Corinthians 12, 2, 12 through 16, you can write it down, or 3, 1 through 3. They're continuous there. But it talks about the natural man, the carnal man, and the spiritual. But the natural man is the man where Christ is on the outside. Back to conscience we talked about earlier, even the concern, those people. Okay, and I was there. You may not be, you may be there today. It's okay. I want to tell you that it's okay if you find yourself. It's okay. We've all been there. It's okay. But Christ is on the outside and self is on the throne. Then we become Christians, okay? We accept Christ into our heart. There's a problem, though, what? We're still on the throne. <laughs> We're still self-centered. And then there is that transition. I believe there are two major spiritual points in a person's life. One is coming from the natural man to the worldly or carnal man the Scripture talks about, and then the one from the worldly to the spiritual, I believe that. I believe it experientially, and that doesn't always make it truth, right? But when I read it in Scripture, I see it. To be sanctified holy through and through. It is God's will that you be sanctified, set apart. The problem we have here is self. You know, it really doesn't matter what social class, part of the country, rural or urban, flyover or coastal, Democrat or Republican, liberal or moderate, conservative or, conservative or ultra-conservative, what part of the world you were born into. It almost, in some ways, doesn't matter even the atrocities that even happened to you, the things that have happened to you in your life. The problem for all of us is we were born into one tribe, the human race. The edemic nature, Scripture talks about. The problem with all these is the self-centered self. You can tell me all day long what's wrong with your marriage, or what's our finances, or he won't do this. Or I'll tell you what's wrong with it is self-centered self. That's the issue. It always comes back to those issues. Oh, it's finances. No, it's the self. No. Jesus says, I love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor yourself. John Wesley was asked, what is the definition of holiness? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor yourself. The problem we've got is that we need to die out to the self-centered self so we can love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors ourselves. We don't have a political issue in our country, even though we do. 
What we've got is, is a self-centered self-issue. That's the issue. You, it's got all kinds of symptoms. It's almost endless of the symptoms. And it's only through Christ's love changing and his grace and his spirit working in us that we begin to change. Where the love of Christ begins to be reflected in my life. As he begins to put the pieces of my life back together, I begin to reflect his image. Where to the point someone could curse me, spit on me, slander me, but I do not have to strike back. You know why? All how I, I can still love that person. You know why? Because it's not dependent on them. It's all dependent on what God is doing in me. So many of you are letting what other people are doing cause you to react. Say it again. Some of you right now are either in a fight or you're in a pushback or you're responding on some kind of social media that you need to just break the phone, okay, or do something because you're embarrassing yourself potentially because of how you're responding in the moment you're hitting send when the reality is you're responding because somebody said something. The reality is you need to respond because of who you become in Christ. It changes everything. Changes everything. What I love about this, what God has called us to in this radical optimism, the question is, can I only reach a point where I can just manage my past sins or my open wounds or my habits? Can I just get to a point where I can manage them or can I really be delivered from them? Can my wounds really be healed, Kurt? Are you saying that my wounds that have happened to me, can they be healed? Or I just figure out how to manage them. I got good news for you. They can be healed. Matter of fact, they can be used for the kingdom. They can be used to advance the kingdom. But when it's still, I, I, I had a little cut on my finger the other day and, 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 and got some salt in it. It doesn't matter how big the wound is. It hurts. And we react. It needs to be healed. As I think back over my life, I think about the self-centered self and the selfishness and the sin. I was telling Jan the other day we were driving along. I said, have you ever thought about this? I said, for me, I th- I, this question came to my mind. When was there a time that I have sinned that I, when I, if I really thought about that sin, I said to myself, man, this is going to have great long-term benefits. <laughs> oh, this is Awesome. You know it's not going to end well if it's found out. So we know sin's job, if it had a job, is separation. It's to separate you from God, separate you from others, and separate you from purpose. That's sin. That's sin's job. Holiness, sanctification, Almost sounds the same. It's set apart. And it brings transformation. It brings reconciliation. Because you don't know all the shame and all the things I've done. Jesus said he went to the cross. We read it earlier in Hebrews. He went to the cross to scorn the shame. You don't have an excuse. You don't think that was what was rolling around in my head for that two weeks that before when I gave my, when I went down to the altar and said, Lord, I know you've called me to preach. And for the two weeks, I, I wrestled with it. And God, the enemy was saying, who's ever going to listen to you? Look at your life. You don't even know scripture very well. You got bad theology. But the worst thing is, you don't have a platform to stand on because of what you've done in your life for 10 years, and they are not going to listen to you. But I'm so thankful today to say that God, Christ scorned that shame on the cross. Sure, I still get nervous. 
Sure, I would. Today, I'm nervous about being up here today and preaching this. Sure, I am. I don't throw up anymore. Sure, I am. Because I'm not what I'm, and I'm not scared of y'all. My fear is the responsibility that's been put on my shoulders as your pastor. That somehow or another I won't speak truth into your life that makes a difference. And then somehow or another you walk out of here today, and of course I can't judge how everybody hears things. You know that. But you'll walk out of here not hearing hope. That, that frightens me. That somehow or another I was not able to communicate to you this great hope that Christ has. I'm not scared of you. You can put another 10,000 people in front of me. I ain't scared of that. Used to be. I was afraid I'd be humiliated. But like I told you last week, that whole idea of being humiliated and your fear of being humiliated can lead you to live a boring life. It really can. So I ain't worried about being humiliated in front of you guys. I wish you'd invite more people. It doesn't matter to me how many you bring in here. But what I am concerned about is, am I representing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords with the word he has for this day with the people in this room? That is a huge weight. That matters to me. King David, Psalm 51, 10 through 12. It's creating me. He's, after Nathan has approached King David and he's challenged him, he said, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Create in me a pure heart. King David, I believe, knew that just asking for forgiveness was a slippery slope. He needed forgiveness. But forgiveness alone means I might go do it again tomorrow. He says, I need a new heart. I need to be new. Paul's already, I've already read today, Paul's saying, yes, new. True freedom, the ability to know what you should do, the desire to want to do it, and the faith and power to live it out. The ability to know what you should do, the desire to want to do it, and the faith and power to live it out. And that's what King David, I desire a new heart. When Jan and I went on the journey after we left the church we originally started at, and we were on a journey for almost a year, I think it was, six months to a year, I knew there was more. I didn't realize how much more there was. <laughs> I thought all, all there was was giving 10%, going to church, and someday go to heaven. I didn't know ultimately there was this great adventure that God had swung the door open on. And I began to search and ended up in a Nazarene church in Texarkana and hearing about the concept of consecration, laying it down. Literally, we still have the altars here because of our tradition, because we believe it's a place that a person can come and lay it down. A, a physical way, even though I know it's not, you're not going to lay, but you can come and just pray and kneel and lay it down to consecrate it, to, a, to, to a basically, as Willard says, abandon. In other words, you're saying, God, it's all yours. Everything is yours. It's all yours. Because I heard this statement from James Bryan Smith a few years ago that's just stuck with me. So when people say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, I, I want to say that makes as much sense as a butterfly saying I'm just a worm with wings. Oh, I am saved by grace. Don't confuse that. I did nothing to get in. I need as much grace, though, to continue to walk with him and to become everything he's called me to be. So back to the five C's. 
Today, some of you are going to be right between the convinced and the convicted. There is a stirring and an awakening happening in your life. Some of you are over here. Some of you are conscious and concerned, and you know it. If you're not careful, you're going to run from it, and you're going to harden yourself. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just saying it's just, it's, there's a great chance of that. But for some of you right here in this cap, you're going to move from convict to convicted where you're going to say, living where I am is unacceptable. Staying where I am right now is no longer acceptable. It's because there's this stirring, there's this awakening going on inside of me that I can't explain, but I'm waking up. I'm waking up to something. And guess what? God will get you on that next rung, and there will be a day he'll do it again because there's no end spot. That's what's so awesome about this. That's why it makes it a great adventure. There is no end spot till we see him face to face. He continues to awaken us, continues to challenge us. And I love what David said, it said about David in Acts 13, 36. He, when he served God's purpose in his own generation, he died. That's when I want to die. I want to die when I've served my purpose. I don't want to end my purpose. I don't want to end my, think I've ended my purpose 20 years before I die. I don't want to retire at 62, 63, 65 and live to be 90 and the last 25 is without a purpose. Are you kidding me? It may be my greatest years. All the things I've learned, all the things God has brought me through may be my best years. I can teach things that 40-year-old pastors can't. One is I made it to 60. I raised four kids. I'm sure there's others. But I don't even just want to be, engaged there means I'm pressing in. Engaged means I'm not just going to meander through life. I'm setting a course. I'm setting a course. And then there's going to be this other part. Okay, convicted right there. Let me give you this passage of scripture. Man, I know we're running late, but... Preach, yeah, that's what I, one person, and I gave her, and she's on my, she's on my cell phone account, so she has to say something, okay? <laughs> for we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. <laughs> we remember for our God and Father your work produced by faith. Now, this is our mission statement here. Your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with what? Power. With the Holy Spirit and what? Deep conviction. You ain't getting nowhere without deep conviction. That's, a pro- that's what we're missing in our culture. That's what we're missing in our churches. We're missing deep conviction. That's what we're missing. Empowered by what? The Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 2, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. You can look at it later. For Christ, love compels us because we are con- what? convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself, right? But for him who died for them and was raised again. Amen. Amen. You can look that up later. But we are the compelled. When we're the compelled, go back to the five C's real quick. I know I'm moving all around. When you become there, you become very focused and intentional. As Paul says, I do not. He says, every step I have has a purpose. Every step I have has a purpose. And there's this holy discontent. It's whatever breaks God's heart or makes him angry, he puts on your heart, and he says, Josh, go do something about it. Go do something about it. I put this call on your heart. And I, I used to say to teenagers all the time, I said, I hope God splits your chest wide open, reaches in and grabs your heart and doesn't give your heart back to you. Follow after what he's calling you to do. And that's a little graphic. And for 12-year-olds, that's a little extreme. But they knew I meant it. Because I kept saying, baby, it's in there. It's in there, baby. We get it. You hang with me. You, you trust me. We're going to find it. God has it for you at 12 years old. He has it for you at 18 years old. He has it for you at 85 years old. He still has it. Still has it. And you kind of reach a point. As a, it, at this point right now, for some of you, it may be raising your children in your home. You are compelled. 
You're not just meandering as a parent. You're compelled and you're intentional and you're focused and you're saying, not on my watch. Is Jesus welcome? Is Jesus welcome in every room of your house? Is Jesus welcome in every part of your being? Is Jesus welcome in your finances? Is Jesus welcome in your workplace? Is Jesus welcome in your relationships? Is he welcome? Are you saying being filled with the Spirit with like a can opener? So just someday you get it popped open, it fills you. I mean, that's kind of, this is kind of a weird, I'm, I'm into images if you hadn't figured that out. But what I realized was it's more along the line of a house where he's welcome into the foyer. If you have a foyer at your house, most people don't, but if you have a foyer or, an inter, or your living room, then you begin to open up doors over time. Then begin to open up doors and you open up closets, you open up drawers, you open up, you begin to open up all these areas of your life to him to go, here, look at it. It's yours. And so you're swinging doors open. You, you, it's, it's, it's the whole cannibal, I hope I get filled someday. No, it's a choice. It's laying down every one of those rooms. And sometimes you find out later, I didn't even know I had that room. Some of you have built way too many rooms onto your house. You've done too many additions. That he's having to overcome. That's the reason why we want to get these young people young so they don't build these extra rooms on their house. Some of you got extra rooms that you don't, you're just trying to figure out what to do with. God has a plan. Well, let me tell you, for some of you, though, March 1st, 2020 has, could be a day of a game changer for you, a tipping point. Could be. Could be. Could be. Like it was for me December 14th, 1986. I mean, I know what, it, I know what that day was like. I, know what it was, I don't know what they preached because I don't care if you remember what I preached today. I genuinely don't care. I won't remember probably next week either. But what I will tell you is this is what God was speaking to you. So tomorrow night when you're laying at bed and there's that anxiety again, that stirring going, there was that wooing, there was that pulling that I know exactly what it's like at 26 years old, that wooing, that pulling, that tugging that's going on inside of you, that battle, I know exactly what that's like. I know I'd fought it for, I fought it at 16 and I dampened it. I thought I had won. Didn't realize how much I had lost. Because he no longer was bothering me. By the time I was about 18 or 19, I thought I had won. I didn't miss it the second time. At 26, I didn't go. Now, I had an awesome lady walking beside me, my beautiful life, wife, Jan, who was helping me. But I didn't miss it this time. I think it's Mark Batterson says this. Josiah, you guys come on down. I know we're running a little late. So much for a 35-minute sermon. I love Mark Batterson's quote here. I know it's up on the screen too, but I'm going to read it. It says, you're only one defining decision away from a totally different life. One defining decision can change your trajectory and put you on a new path towards the promised land. One defining decision can totally change the forecast of your life. It's those defining decisions that become the defining moments of your life. God loves you. He's on your side. And some of you know, even just sitting in here today, he's coming after you. He's relentless. He's relentless. We're going to do something here that's been in our tradition, an invitation, and I know many of you have been parts of other churches, different invitations. The One of the ways we do it here and as a part of our tradition is we use these altars as I've already mentioned. It is a place to come. They're a piece of furniture. They're really all they are. They're just, we just repainted them when we came over here and closed the building. We cut them and repainted them. So they're still just a piece of furniture, except... When we come and we ask God to meet us there and to just lay it down, the brokenness, the shame, the, the anger, 
the unforgiveness, the confusion, to lay down our finances, lay down our relationships, lay down our marriage, lay down my parenting, lay down my singleness. Because my singleness, I just want to remind you, your singleness is just as important as married people. Boy, folks, I'm telling you right now, God has a plan for each one of you to live in step with him. Some of you are capped just on unforgiveness. Some of you are capped for control. Some of you are capped... But some of you today need to accept Christ as your Savior. Like I did on that December 14th, 1986, had no idea what I was doing except I came down front and prayed. Because I knew something inside of me was different than anything I'd ever sensed in my life. And I knew it. For whatever reason, circumstances and everything else and people, and they had somehow or another brought me to that day. And I wasn't going to miss it. Had no clue what I was stepping off into. But that's okay. Because when we come and concentrate and lay it down, we're just saying, I trust you. I trust you. I just trust you. So won't you stand? I'm going to pray for us. Josiah and I are going to lead us into worship. And some of you are going to say, man, I can't step out of there and walk down there and kneel. Maybe not. But I want to encourage you. It may be your greatest faith step ever. If you'll take the first step, I have a feeling he'll carry you the rest of the way. <laughs> That's just my guess. But you've got to take that first step. He's not going to force you. But let me pray for us. But if you'll come, and you say, well, if I come, what's going to happen? I just say, kneel and just start doing what you only know to do. Start praying. And if you want someone to pray with you, we got people here that will pray with you. Well, let me pray for us, Lord, right now. We only want what you've already orchestrated. That's all we want. We want the work that you've already done. Lord, there are some here right now that need to just receive you right now as their Savior. If not, Lord, they may walk out and never come back. Lord, I pray that today is the day of salvation. Today. Lord, I pray for those who have been following you a long time but have just gotten stuck. Or like we've talked about in this series, where it's almost like they don't care. They've neglected the call. And Lord, I pray for them today that today, not knowing what all it may mean, they just come and lay it down. Just lay it down. Lord, have your way. And that's all we ask today. In your name we pray, Jesus. Let's just sign and lead us. If you feel led, please come and pray and kneel.